last episode, I started a new series about the power of our words and making sure that we are using our words correctly. And to continue on this topic, today I want to talk about the idea of having a forked tongue or a split tongue. And I'm not talking about it in the physical sense, although I'm aware that some people do that. But no, I want to talk about it in the spiritual sense, which is more of this idea of having a divided tongue that says one thing and then later on says another thing. And I want to start by clarifying that saying one thing and then saying another thing is different than the accusation that is usually made towards uh, churches and, and churchgoers, which is the idea of hypocrisy, right? When people think about the church and words, one of the things that first come to their minds is hypocrisy and, oh, they're hypocrites. They say one thing, right? They say you should do this and then they don't do that. Or they say you shouldn't do that and then they do it anyways. And people make a lot of accusations against the church for that. And even though that's not the main topic I want to discuss, I do want to make a little clarification here that being a Christian, being a follower of Christ, will always make you a hypocrite, and that's okay. Now let me explain what I mean by that. Hypocrisy is saying that we should be doing something or that we shouldn't be doing something, right? It's holding this standard and then not living in accordance with that standard. Now, here's the thing. If we believe that God has set a perfect standard for us to follow, and we also believe that we are flawed people who sin, that means that we have this perfect standard that we can't live up to, but we believe that we should try to live up to that standard, even when we fall short, to continue to strive for it. Right? So being a hypocrite doesn't mean that you are a liar, because you do believe that you should live up to that standard. Being a hypocrite just means that you don't always live up to that standard that you know you should be living at. Now, that's not what I'm talking about today with a divided tongue. What I'm talking about is the idea of doublespeak and making sure that there is consistency in the things that we say. Now, last week I talked a lot about how the tongue has the power of life and death, and I actually want to begin our discussion today in the passage where that phrase comes from. It's in Proverbs chapter 18, verses 20 and 21. It says, From the fruit of their mouth a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips they are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So in this passage, it talks about how with our words, we can either give life to someone or we can bring death into their spirit. And we're going to get a little bit more into that idea of speaking either with life or speaking with death in a second. But what I want to focus on in this passage today is this idea that from the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. And what is that talking about? Well, in this passage, the stomach is being used as an illustration for our conscience. It's saying that whatever words we speak out, that we're going to hear those words and we're going to have to live with those words. 
And so if we are speaking out life, then we can be filled with that those words of life. And as we walk through our lives, we are able to hold our heads high in knowing that we are giving life with our words. But then, of course, the opposite is true. If we are speaking words of death, then we will be held accountable for the things that we are saying. And when we feel guilty about the things that we have said, maybe in anger we said something that we didn't really mean, but we said it anyway, and that just grows like a pit in our stomach that we have to live with. That's what this passage is talking about. And so in this first idea of divided speech, I I want to bring us to this realization that when we speak, our speech is going both outward and inward at the same time. So in this sense, this division of our speech isn't necessarily good or bad. It's simply the truth of what we experience. That the things that we say are not just going outward into the world around us, they are also going inward. And we have to live with the things that we say, and the things that we say can affect our own spirit. So when we speak words of life, and we're speaking words that are positive and encouraging, not only is that going to give life to the people we're saying those words towards, but we are also listening to those words that we are saying, And those words, as we speak them, can give ourselves life as well. That's why when we talk about negative things or we talk about things we don't like, right, and we complain, and and we'll get more into complaining in a later episode, but as we speak those words of death, that it corrodes our spirit as well. Our speech doesn't just travel outward, it travels inward as well. And it affects us. It's kind of like putting on a graphic t-shirt, right? Whatever is on that t-shirt, it's being presented out into the world. But it's also defining who we are and what we believe. And it's the same way with our words. The things that we say aren't just being thrown out and presented to the rest of the world. Those words are also defining who we are. And we have to live with the things that we say. And so when we do speak words of death, not only are we poisoning others, we're poisoning ourselves as well. And so this is part of why we want to pay attention to what kind of words that we're speaking to make sure that we avoid poisoning ourselves with our own words. So now let's talk about what kind of speech is poisonous. What are these words that bring death to our own hearts as well as the hearts of others? Well, let's go to James chapter 3 for this answer. Beginning at verse 9, it says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So here we're given an example 
of what kind of words bring life and what kind of words bring death. That blessing others is life-giving. Praising our Father in heaven is life-giving. But cursing others brings death. And I want to explain what the Bible means when it uses the word curse. Because when we use the word curse in today's society, oftentimes we're thinking of swear words, right? But that's not what this verse is talking about. Historically and, and scripturally, to curse someone is to call for someone's destruction. It's not just using swear words. It's not talking about the kinds of words we're using. It's talking about how we are using those words. And are we using those words to tear someone down? Are we using those words to attack and try to destroy a person? That's what it means to curse someone. You are trying to destroy them. And we're given the instruction here to not allow our tongues to curse others. And so in this passage, we can see that it is sinful to use our words to damage people. Now, I'm not talking about offending people. Offending people is very different from damaging them. And again, we'll talk about what it means to offend someone later. But when we are using our words specifically to try to damage someone, to hurt them, and especially if we're trying to destroy them or call for them to be destroyed, that is sinful. And there's no amount of blessing or praise that we can speak to balance out allowing us to curse some people. Because James is saying our mouths shouldn't be used for both of those things. If we are going to bless, if we are going to praise God, that should be all our mouth is used for, is for those things of life and never used to curse others. Never. When my parents taught marriage classes, one of the things that they would have the couples take home and, and do as kind of a homework assignment is that they would get a jar, a glass jar, and they would get a sack of white beans and a sack of black beans. And any time that a harmful word or phrase was spoken between the couple, they would have to put a black bean in that jar. And any time a, a positive word or blessing or encouragement was spoken, anything good, then they would put a white bean in the jar. And the goal of this was to be able to have a physical representation in that jar that they could look at to see when we're speaking to each other, are we encouraging one another or are we tearing each other down? Now, the goal of the exercise was not to have more white beans than black beans. The goal of the exercise was to train that couple that when they were speaking to each other, to pay attention to what kind of words they were using and not to tear each other down, but rather to build each other up. The goal wasn't to have more white beans than black beans. The goal was to have only white beans, to only be speaking life. And this is a principle that should be applied to all of our relationships, 
right? Not just marriage relationships, but all of our relationships with people. When we speak to them, we should be speaking in ways that build them up and not in ways that tear them down. So let me give you a couple examples of how this can be done. Let's say I go to a friend's house and he cooks me dinner. And when he brings the food to me, the food is burnt. Now, the cursing response, right, the destructive response would be, wow, this looks awful. This is terrible. How could you mess it up this bad? Well, what are you serving me? You're a terrible cook. A response like that is only going to make him feel worse. It's going to tear him down. Now, I can still acknowledge the condition of the food, but do so in a way that is encouraging rather than destroying. So I can say, first of all, thank you for making me food. I appreciate you putting in all this effort. I wanted to point out to you, though, that this is a little burnt, but, you know, it's not that big of a deal, and I'd rather have burnt food that somebody else had to make the non-burdened food that I had to make. But if you ever want, um, I've learned some tricks that help that have helped me avoid burning food, and if you want, I can teach them to you. I can, I can show them to you. But again, I appreciate that you have invited me over and made this food for me. Do you hear the difference? See, both cases are acknowledging that the burnt food is an issue that should be resolved but how is that trying to be resolved? Is it trying to be resolved by tearing the person down or by trying to help build them up and encourage them and help them, help them learn skills so that that doesn't happen again? It's resolving the issue rather than complaining about the issue. So that's kind of a nice, simple example. Let's get a more real, serious example. Let's say I find out that this friend of mine who is married is an alcoholic. And worse than that, he's an abusive alcoholic. And he's abusing his family. Not only is he going out and getting way too drunk, or sitting at home and getting way too drunk, but he is abusing his family. Let's start with the destructive approach. The destructive approach would be to say, you're an idiot. I can't believe you're doing this. How could you let it get this bad? This is dangerous to you. It's dangerous to your family. You need to pack your bags and get out of town before you cause more harm. I'm sick to even look at you. You know what that response is going to do? Probably make things worse. It's probably going to drive him to it even more. So let's look at an alternate approach. Remember, if the goal is to bring life into the situation, to bring encouragement, healing, wellness, how about this approach? Listen, I won't pretend I know what you're going through. I haven't been there. I don't know how things have gotten this bad. And it's painful for me to see you here because I know that you could be so much greater. And I want to help you get better. You're not a failure for doing this. You're making mistakes, but you're not a failure. You just need help. And I want to help you. I want to help you get better. 
And as long as you're being abusive, I think the best thing would be to keep your family in a safe place for now until you can get this under control. Because I know that you care about them, and I care about them too. And you, I know that you don't want to be hurting them like you've been doing. So let's figure out how to keep them safe and how we can help you get better. And I'm here to help you in that process however I can. Now, how they respond to that is completely up to them. They may even get more angry, right? They might be offended that you're acting all high and mighty with them, or they're embarrassed that they've been found out. And they react in anger because they're embarrassed, because they didn't want anybody to know about this. And now somebody does, and they're upset about that. But we're not responsible to how others react. We're responsible for what we say and what we do. And in your speech, are you destroying them? Are you tearing their lives down? Or are you trying to bring life and healing and encouragement into this situation to try to help Sick people become well. Help them become healthy. And that's what this passage in James is trying to teach us. Is this idea that we shouldn't be cursing people. We shouldn't be putting people out, pushing them away, tearing them down, tearing their lives apart. Even if they are making decisions that are destroying their lives. You don't want to allow it. You don't just shrug your shoulders and say, okay, well, it's their life. They're going to do what they want to do. But to try to help them. Help them get better. Help them have a better life tomorrow than they do today. Whether their life is great today or terrible today. Are your interactions with them, are your words bringing life to them? Or is it bringing death? And so no matter who they are or what they are doing, as James point out, we've all been made in God's likeness. We all are loved by God, and God wants us to be healthy. God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to be made well. And he calls for us to have that same heart, when we're interacting with others. And so, no, we should not have both blessing and praising and cursing coming out of our mouth. But always we should be encouraging the wellness of others. Now, the last thing I want to talk about with this is what happens when we do reach that point. What is kind of the result of getting to this place where we are only blessing others. To see a picture of that, I want to take us to Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. 
Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So here we are encouraged to use this attitude of blessing others, right? Being focused on other people rather than ourselves. And as we are encouraged from being united with Christ, to use that encouragement and use that same attitude of love towards others that Christ has shown to us. And that as we do that, right, as we are blessing one another instead of cursing one another, that that will provide a foundation for there to be unity among us rather than more division. Because when you have everyone encouraging each other rather than encouraging some people and with other people just kind of wishing they weren't there or they just go somewhere else or you know what we really don't want them around but instead of that encouraging everyone when everyone is encouraging everyone everyone wants what's best for everyone everyone wants for everyone to be well then our hearts want the same thing, and our hearts become united. And as our hearts begin to unite, we can, we can begin to produce a united voice as well. Because we are all desiring the same thing, and we can speak in favor of the same thing. Because that's what we're all here for. That's what we're all trying to accomplish is a wellness in everyone. And a wellness that is healthier tomorrow than it is today. And how do we accomplish that? And so when all of our hearts are on that same page, then it allows us to have this unity in moving forward to accomplish those things. It's the same uh, thing that a mission statement does. That everyone says, this is what we're here for. This is who we are. This is why we're here. This is what we're trying to accomplish. This is how we are accomplishing it. And everybody that joins the organization under that mission statement is signing up and saying, yes, that's who I'm going to be. That's what I'm here for. This is how I'm going to be accomplishing this mission. And it provides a unity within that organization. And the church needs to have that same kind of unity of not saying these are those who should be blessed and these are those who should be cursed, but instead saying that everyone is loved by God and everyone is who we desire to reach. We want to help all people because of the way that God has helped us. And before we can get to that place, of having a united voice with one another. We first need to have united hearts that agree on what it is we need to be doing, on agreeing on this idea of blessing all and not some. And in order for us to all have our hearts united in that way, we first need to address the division in our own heart. Because if in our hearts we believe that some people should be blessed 
and some should be cursed, or even if we believe that almost everyone should be blessed, except for maybe these one or two people, and we curse them, we don't want to have anything to do with them, all it takes is that one person that we curse to have a heart that is divided. And when our heart is divided, it can't unite with other hearts. Because several divided hearts being joined together is just going to create more chaos. It's going to create more conflict than anything else. So we need to address the division in our own heart first. And make sure that we don't have that double speak. That we aren't speaking to one person differently than we speak to other people. That we aren't blessing some and cursing others. And that we don't even talk about ourselves worse than we talk about other people. You see, that one person you curse can be yourself. And for some people, that's where the struggle is. That we bless everyone except ourselves accept who we are, and we curse ourselves. But again, when other people want to bless us, but we don't want to be blessed, we want to be cursed, then there can't be unity between us and others because we're wanting different things. And again, James is saying that we shouldn't curse anyone. So rather than speaking with divided tongues, we need to bring consistency to our mouths. We need to speak only with life and never with death. Only with blessing and encouraging and never with the intent to destroy anyone, not even ourselves. That's not denying reality. It's not turning, turning a blind eye to problems that we face, but it's this mission in our heart that is united to strive for the wellness of each and every person, beginning with ourselves, and making sure that our hearts are united. And then as our hearts are united under the healing power of Christ, and who he is, and who we are in him, and who others are in his eyes. That there's this consistent level, because Jesus loves each and every person, and wishes that none would perish. And so when we're able to see people through God's eyes, including ourselves, then our hearts can begin to unite in ourselves, and then that united heart that we have can be united with other united hearts that also desire to bless all people. And the more that unity takes place, the more we will have a common voice speaking out for the good of others and in a way that aligns with God's heart as well. But it starts with us starts with our own hearts, and making sure that our tons are not divided, but that we are consistent in what we say 
and who we say it to and how we say it. And so, in closing, I want to do something a little different. And I want to leave you with a prayer that you can pray to allow God to apply in you what I've been talking about. So the prayer is this, and you don't have to say it word for word if you don't want to, and you can pray beyond this. This is just kind of a template to help you get started. But the prayer is this, Heavenly Father, let me be of one heart, one mind, and one voice, in me, with you, and for others. Amen. I'll say that one more time. Heavenly Father, let me be of one heart, one mind, and one voice, in me, with you, and for others. Amen. I encourage you to pray that. Let God unite your heart. And like I talked about last time, it's out of the heart that our mouth will speak. And so when our hearts are united, our speech will be consistent. And as that takes place, we will be able to unite with others in God to do his work in the world. And that's today's sermon in the pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions for me, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me either through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page or email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And I encourage you, wherever you're listening to this, like it, rate it, share it, all of those things that help get the message out there a little bit better. But until next time, thank you for taking the time to listen. And it's my prayer that God will bless you as you go throughout your day. Thank you.